Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Well, that was a fucking crazy, cool conversation. Yeah, I'm fucking riding a high right now. Like, like so, like, this was the conversation I needed. I loved how we weaved back and forth and, like, anger at the church and, like, but also, like, holding space for, like, oh, you know, bishops are trying to do what they, the best they know how to do, but, like. Yeah. And then Seth's story, man, he's, I, I'm telling you, he's a magical wizard. And so listeners, if you're listening right now, I mean, you are because he, otherwise you would. How else would you hear it if you're not listening right now? Yeah. Uh, we're joined in this episode by Seth, who uh, edits our episodes. Um, he's part of the Mormons on Mushrooms team. And just like, I don't know where he came from, but like this magical being who. Um, we talked about it in the episode, but he reached out and called this magical space fairies, wizards, and I said, takes one to no one. And it's been this magical journey since. Well, and he's just like, everything, everything about Seth is just so inviting and warm and, you know, kind of like wise. He's one of those people that as soon as you like start talking to him, you're like, oh, this dude is fucking wise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like uh -huh. he's seen some shit, you know? Which I guess we should bring up to also listeners. Uh, you know, we have the we have the warning in the beginning of the episode about triggering topics. We want to give another warning in this one because we do spend a good amount of time talking about suicide and suicide ideation. Uh, if that is a if that is a sensitive and triggering subject for you, this might not be the best episode to listen to because we do talk about uh, some some of our journeys uh, with some detail about. Uh, about that type of thing. So if, 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 if you're sensitive to that, probably hit, probably hit stop right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say like, if you decide to listen, have a close friend to call or something, I don't know, but like, and I don't know, maybe they could skip 20 minutes. Maybe we hit that in the first 20 minutes, but um, yeah, we dove, we dove into that quick. We, yeah, we, we get right into that. And I love how we got right into that, but um. But yeah, it's some, uh, it's hard, but, uh, it's some beautiful stuff and I'm glad we got, we got there. Yeah. It's, this is a good up. Like for me, this was good. Cause we, we, I think that with most of the time we try to focus on like different topics and, and, but we always have kind of a theme in this one, we start talking about his struggles and then his experience being in the church and trying psychedelics and just kind of how that's happened, you know, but then we get into like areas we don't normally go into just like kind of, kind of going back and forth on how we feel about the church itself. So good episode. A fucking great episode. I love it. And so I'm so excited to introduce everyone to Seth and it's going to be the first of many, I feel like, right. This is, so this, too. this has to keep happening. And we barely like scratched the surface on his story. We got yeah. like a couple trips in and <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that's, I, I like that. Cause that's like how conversations go. And I, yeah. I don't know that I've ever gotten to the bottom of a, 
fucking conversation with someone in my whole life, you know, which just means let's have more conversations. But when he said it's been an hour and a half, I could not believe it. Yeah. Same. Same. Wow. I think listeners will feel the same way. I mean, it's just, it's a good, it's, it's magical. It is magic. Fucking magic. Real magic. Cue the music. Cue Seth. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. There we go. Less shiny. No, glowing. I meant you're glowing in a good way. I didn't mean like your forehead. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't like. Hey, uh, you might want to turn your light down or something like that. I was just saying you're fucking grab up. a powder, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seth, man, there's something, there's something about your energy, man. Whenever you come on screen, I just, uh, hey, I get all excited. Yeah. Oh, thanks guys. Well, I do have to admit. So like typically even after whatever, 70 episodes or whatever we've done with this thing, I always get nervous. And today I'm not feeling nervous. I'm feeling excited. This is like, the most excited, less nervous I've been about any episode we've done. Oh, that's a, that's a huge compliment. Thanks, Mike. The truth. Uh, ditto. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I've, right. I, I've dealt with getting nervous for these recordings by getting high or drunk. And so I, I don't know if that adds or takes away from the podcast, but uh, I have, I've, Seth, I saw that you have whiskey. I also have. Oh, I should about the whiskey, guys. I'm drinking the booch. Oh, which which one is that? Is that the campfire? No, it's just the uh, American Prairie. So good. It is, High West is good, man. Yeah. Well, I like your style. I made like a fancy little cocktail. And you're just going for it. <laughs> like an old fashioned type thing or what'd you put in there? It is. Uh, it's called an improved whiskey cocktail. So it has a little bit of like a spoonful of absinthe and some uh, Luxardo liqueur. It's like a oh. sweetener. Shit. Like real absinthe, like, like hallucinogenic absinthe. No, I mean, that's not a thing. I don't think. Didn't it used to be a thing before they made it illegal here in the States? Uh, I don't know, man. I think it was people who were just trying to vilify absinthe drinkers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's one of those kind of deals. My only knowledge of absinthe comes from the movie, get him to the Greek when uh, <laughs> they drink absinthe. That's my only. I've never seen that movie. That's funny. Oh. Well, Seth, welcome. Thanks. Fucking welcome. You know, this yeah. has like been a long time coming. Uh, I remember when you reached out, how long was that? Like earlier this year, you sent us a note and you said, you guys are, I think I still remember it. You said you guys are magical space fairy wizards or something like that. And I said, well, it takes one to know one. Yeah. And here this we are. Perfect possible response. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. And for several reasons, one, we've already talked about your magical energy and what you bring and what you bring to uh, the community, what you bring to kind of the Mormons on mushrooms group we we've got going. Um, and then also just, I think your story is, amazing and fascinating. And you've processed a lot in just a short amount of time. And so, you know, originally we were going to have you come on to be uh, part of this panel. We're talking about doing it with active members using psychedelics, but your uh, role in the church has kind of shifted since that time. (laughs) So we can kind of get into that too. (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah, during that time, I felt really uncomfortable every time that came up because I felt like a fraud. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you felt like a fraud on on which side of that coin? I, I was in the process of leaving during that conversation. Oh, so every time okay. it had come up, be like, maybe I'm not the best one for that. Like, I don't I don't think I'm the right guy for the active member discussion. I'm trying to not be that anymore. So, well, it kind of begs the question. I, I don't think we've ever really gotten like a like a full blown answer from anybody. But can I, I mean, these these things we talk about are pretty powerful as far as the uh, the the tools or the substances like can someone sustain being an active like full belief full believing mormon and do like and eat mushrooms like i don't even know i did it for three years um i mean that's that's longer than i think i could have done it like the night we did mushrooms i'd have been like oh i don't believe in church anymore (laughs) (laughs) after i started working with the medicine i actually got more active Hmm. Um, i had a ton of social anxiety and it just like went away. And yeah, that was the main reason that was like keeping me kind of, I don't know, the main kind of drawback. And when that went away, yeah, I was, I was super active there for like two years and really nuanced. I mean, I was already a nuanced Mormon before, before the medicine work happened. I've been trying to make it make sense for like 30 years. So, so what, what happened that, so the very first time, I mean, how did you get introduced to the, the even the concept of doing psychedelics and then like, what did you do and what, what happened? I mean, because for it to make you, I mean, I, I get the thing about, uh, you know, helping with some social anxiety and stuff like that, but yeah. what happened? Um, so like, it's a long convoluted story. So I hope it makes sense. That's here. what we're but here that's for. What we're here for. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I've struggled with depression and anxiety since I was little. Um, like I was misdiagnosed with ADHD when I was eight. Um, and it was probably depression uh, that I was dealing with. That was really common all the way up until the 2000s for kids to be. I mean, psychologists didn't believe kids could get depression yeah. until recently. Um, so misdiagnosed. Um, I actually had a suicide attempt when I was like nine. Um, I had another one after my mission, you know, so it was pretty severe. And I was on the verge of another Um we lost my mother-in-law uh, to suicide and it really kind of put me in a really dark place because I saw what she was going through, but I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't help her. We were in a position to help her. I, you know, part of having horrible anxiety and depression is that I, I was in no position to help anybody, you know, didn't have a career, didn't have a house big enough to welcome her. Couldn't get her out of her situation. And, So, yeah, we lost her um, to suicide and it just put me in a tailspin and uh, kind of by really weird circumstances ended up with all of my friends that I had grown up with um, for a couple of days. Um, And I was working for two of my buddies at the time and they were like on constant watch, making sure I was going to be okay. Um, I, I got to a point where I called them and I told them, Hey, I can't come into work today. Cause if I leave the house, I'm going to hurt myself. Um, I had a plan and was ready to be done, you know? And, um, so they had kind many, of been watching me. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask how many years ago that was. This was 2017. It's like beginning of 2017. So not, not too long ago. Um, yeah, about five years ago. 
And before we get into more, I just wanted to hit on one point you were talking about there, because I can totally relate to that feeling of like, when you're in that depressed state, you just can't help people. I remember on my mission when I was probably the most depressed, it was in my last area and we were teaching this woman and she was clearly depressed, like, um, and teaching her and she had so much hope in baptism and that if she got baptized, so she was pretty quick baptism. Um, she was evangelical. And so, but when we came, she saw some hope and I saw that hope in her, but here I am teaching her being severely depressed, seeing that hope in her that she's like, what well, I'm going to get baptized and this is all going to go away. And knowing that that wasn't the case. And then sure enough, we baptized her. She came to church one more Sunday. We went to visit her afterwards and the depression clearly still there. And she never went back to church, but knowing that I couldn't help her in that state. And then it just triggered my own depression and my own thing of like, what is this? What is this that I'm just doing everything I can fucking do. And I don't feel any better. And I'm here trying to teach happiness to people and I can't help people be happy. Yeah. I relate to that so much. I mean, that was the mission, right? Trying to help people be happy and not happy while I was doing it. And that just continued for 20 years after the mission. Um, yeah. And it, it ended up with this group of friends and my buddies are like, we don't know what to do with, we don't know what to do with Seth. You know, we just were at our wits end with him. And um, one of our friends that we grew up with uh, went to BYU, moved out to the Bay area, like, uh, their roommate actually found a guide and started working with them and was training under this guide. And so our friend was just like, well, have you thought about microdosing MDMA? And all these Mormon kids are just like, what, what are you Whoa, talking hold on about? A second. Like, I didn't know you could microdose MDMA. You can't. Nobody oh, did okay. that. That's horrible advice. Yeah. That's really bad advice. Right. Like, yeah. no, they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Please. It seems like yeah. at, at the end of like the third day, you're just going to feel like <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'd get like serotonin syndrome or something. Yeah. yeah. It would not be good. Nobody do that. Um, but they put me in contact with this guide, um, the roommate first, and then the, the roommate put me in contact with the guide. And a couple months later, I was headed out to the Bay Area to have a journey just with, you know, all of these hopes that maybe something had changed. Um, yeah, that was, that was just those couple months were a wild ride. My, my buddies were all super like scared about it. They didn't want me to do it. I talked to, you know, my family about it. I talked to my mom about it. Um, she was kind of the point of like, yeah, you know, I mean, she was really skeptical, but like, if, it, if you think it can help you, what are you going to do? And um, my buddies like begged me to even talk to my Bishop about it, make sure I'd be okay with him. So I actually went and talked to my Bishop and told him what I was about to do. Oh. Yeah. Wow. What did, what was your Bishop's response? Yeah, it was, was, was kind of crazy. He actually gave me the go ahead. What? Um, he, yeah. He Love was it. like, he was like, man, I know how bad this can be. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think he's dealt with stuff in his family and whatnot. And I mean, everybody has, right? Everybody knows how bad it can be because everybody's seen the worst case yeah. scenario somewhere in their life. Well, and especially as a bishop, I, you know, 
we we give a lot of shit to bishops here because we've all had some traumatic experiences from yeah. bishops. We're probably like, going to give him shit later in this podcast because some of them deserve it. But yes. uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but you know what? But they're all the you know thrown into the situation, untrained. Yeah. They've got their own families and work. They can't even do that full time, and it is a full time job. And you probably hear so much shit as a bishop. And trying to take on everyone's pain and emotions and help them work through shit. Meanwhile, you you have your day job as a dentist or an accountant or businessman. This guy and, worked in a like basically a factory. Like, what kind of training do you have to like help people work through their mental health problems? Right. Yeah. So it's a weird deal where it's like you know, kudos to these people who are giving so much of their time for something that they believe in, even if. <laughs> Even if I want to say fuck them too, you know. What I, mean? <laughs> I mean, it can be both, right? It can, it can be, both. be both. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the really magical thing about all this plant medicine work that we'll get to is that you know, not everything has to be one thing. It could be like two or three or five. You know, it, it can be both. Yeah. God bless them, but you know, fuck them a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's this is like this. This is like the eternal question we have on here because it's like yeah fuck those bishops you know you you won the bishop roulette lottery right by going to this guy thing but not on other things right right? not just just for just for the sake of this specific story and that's kind of we just kind of got ahead to my point but the next time you went and saw him it could be about something else it could be about uh, another struggle or vice or any kind of other thing and he could come down hard because he's he's only tapping into the mood that he's in that day, um, you know, maybe some things that he's got going on down at the factory or at home yeah. or in his little factory, he might be feeling some <laughs> guilt, some shame. He might have like a soft spot for mental health issues. Cause he's had that in his family, but he also might take like a, like a hard line on something like, you know, alcohol or, or, you know, adultery or something like because he's been hurt by that. So that to, to both of your points about, not receiving any kind of training. I mean, we're still, I don't know how many fucking studies need to be done. You know, you saw that big one that came out uh, this week. That's like, yeah. dude, mushrooms help solve depression. That's the study. Just depression. You know? Not yeah. any crazy, like this isn't for the crazy people. This is just for the sad people. It, this is for them. the, yeah, this is for the people you, you see every day. This is the people who you have the, Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Oh, I'm living the dream. Oh, just, you know, it's everyone that you come across mushrooms help solve that. Yeah. It's we're it's still going to go through clinical t- trials and testing and we're going to have to have more studies, we're going to have to have more it's so how can a, how can a bishop when you have all these researchers and 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 uh you know n- neurosurgeons and neurologists and psychiatrists all these people studying the effects that mushrooms have on the on the body and the brain. Yeah. They keep saying, well, we still think it's pretty good. But the anti-drug campaign is like, no, it's not good. How can your fucking factory worker bishop be expected to know what the hell to say in that situation? Sorry, I want to, you know. Well, and I mean, God bless him for for doing everything that he could, right? I mean, really, it's both. It's both. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's being human. But yeah, went and talked to him. You know, he said, if you think it'll help go do it, see what happens. And um, so, yeah, man, I ended up out in San Francisco to do um, MDMA and ketamine. Oh, so that was the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, simulta- simultaneously. 
um, kind of piggybacked. So, okay. you know, ended up at this stranger's house. who I'd talked to on the phone a couple of times, talked to online a couple of times. I went ahead of time and met with them once just to kind of like go through the ceremony, what it would look like. And still, man, I was, I was horrified. Like, I don't think I realized until like a year or two later, how scared I was. Yeah. Well, had um, you done any, um, had you drank at all or done anything? Nothing. Coffee? Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, I just, I'm just asking cause I, I yeah. drank alcohol before I drank coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I drank a ton of coffee in high school and then kicked oh, it in okay. order to go on my mission. And, uh, no, I was like, I was straight arrow, um, at this point. Um, yeah, never done any drugs. I mean, I think I took a bunch of Sudafed in high school once that was like <laughs> the closest, <laughs> which, you know, you'll also see stuff, but got the poor man's meth. <laughs> um meth yeah so showed up and you know and it's it's very much like the the, the ceremony right we mm-hmm. go in and we you know talk about intentions and he had an altar and there was you know a buddha on the altar which i'm okay with because i i studied world religions quite a bit um i think that had really kind of set me up for success in all of this um that was that was uh yeah not something new or crazy to me but yeah there was a little buddha on the altar and he had his little kintsugi bowl uh do you guys know what that is it's pottery that's been cracked yeah it's uh, like gold tom tom montgomery did it with his christus statue yeah yeah that was amazing by the way i love that story but he had a little kintsugi bowl there with you know capsule of mdma in it and i downed that thing and we went on a walk and we came back and yeah man it was just magic happened right yeah um, laying there on a mat with an eye shade on it's very much kind of that school of like really go internal and yeah um listen to some uh brian eno music for oh, airports yeah. you know yeah i get down yeah man it was freaking amazing and just whole body you know the the thing whole body tingles and you know all of a sudden you're like whoa there's there's more to me than i thought there was you Mm -hmm. know and then just a whole day of that and then kind of towards the end of that um the ketamine and uh ketamine's ketamine's miraculous it's incredible before we go there i want to hear that but you saw me light up when you said more to me than i thought there was yeah Oh my gosh. I love that. That was, that's been the whole journey. Hmm. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to skip to the end is that there's more inside of us that we can possibly know. We're so much bigger. And you know what? I mean, I kind of talk about that when I talk about my first mushroom experience and staffing back to me and be like, Oh, this is what it feels like to be Mike. Right. But -hmm. it wasn't until I was, uh, you know, based on a recommendation by my therapist, reading a book called inner work by Robert Johnson where he talked about the iceberg analogy where your conscious mind is like that tip that's point, you know, poking out of the water, but your subconscious is so much bigger than that. And it's actually running the show. And there's so much, whoever you think you are, you're not that person, but I love, and that's what we've said that a lot on the podcast, but I love the phrasing you used instead, um, which I just forgot. <laughs> there's, there's more to me than I thought. You know? Yeah. Oh, damn. I got well, and then you get that. into the the spiritual side of it and, you know, 
yeah, we're, we're, we are the cosmos, right? It's, it's, it's all inside of us. And that was actually, so that was kind of the ketamine. That's when the ketamine came in is that, uh, this was intramuscular, you know, ketamine shot in the arm and it was a lot. And, uh, I felt like I'd just been blown to pieces, just scattered across the cosmos. And so I, I, I kind of had this inkling that there was more to me than I thought there was. And then all of a sudden you're, you're nothing you're, you are the cosmos. And then you realize that you're everything. And there may have been like a, like a Stanley Kubrick 2001 moment talking about it being full of stars, but it being me. And, um, my guide, he actually played also Sprock Zarathustra, the song from 2001. And it was like a whole thing. <laughs> he had his, uh, his little medicine drum and he's like banging the drum with the drums. And then, you know, the whole experience, he really made it this just kind of amazing experience. And um, I, I mean, I, I think that the term ego death is kind of problematic, but that was, that was my first experience with ego death is the like what I thought I was, was gone. And then you could see what was really there. Um, and so much of the work, especially the early part was about trying to find out who I was. I was trying to find myself. And it's like the whole time, all these different medicines were like, uh, no, you know exactly who you are. We're just going to peel this back. The part that thinks you need to find yourself. We're just going to take this away. And then look, look, and it took me a while. I mean, it took a year or so before I realized I was like, oh, I've just been me this whole time. <laughs> I'm, I'm just me. Oh, yeah. Synchronicities, right? I can't believe I can't believe the wording that you're using right here. Um, I was going through uh, my journal. Uh, you know, I, I'm not very good at journaling, but if I have a significant experience, I, I'll, I'll journal about it. And it wasn't ketamine, but it was, uh, I was reading about my ayahuasca experience last year. And there's a part in there where I say, I feel like I've spent so much time trying to find myself and I've been right here all along. Like, so it's, it's kind of a funny thing. And it's like, you know, the whole thing about like, anytime you lose something, it's uh, in the, it's in the last place you left it or it's in the last place you checked. I was feeling that way about my existence. So I like that. I like that you brought up ego death, Seth, because I want to talk about that for a second, if we could, you said it's problematic. I agree. What, how could we better phrase that? Because it's not really, the ego is still important. I think, you know, it's not exactly the death of the ego or the dissolution of the ego, Yeah, but it's the observation of the ego. I like dissolution better. Uh, but still, I think you're right. It, it's it's the ego. I don't know. It just like it's like it just chills out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just an ego chill out. It's like okay, I'm just gonna like be quiet and watch what's going on here because this yeah. is bigger than I thought it could be. I don't know. Yeah, ego chill. It's the yeah. ego death. Ego chill. Well, like, it brings to mind something this week. So I was chatting with a guy who facilitates high dose mushroom journeys where they're doing like. 30, 40 grams and stuff. They, they build people up to it, you know? Wow, dude, that's crazy. Yeah. And he's like, you have to get to a point where you know that you're, you always are going to feel like I'm never coming back from this, but you always do, at least in his words. I don't want to tell people that, <laughs> but I think yeah. 
It, but it, it is that because when you do these ego death, ego dissolution, whatever, um, you have those moments where you feel like, oh, I'm not coming back from this. I'm lost. I'm lost to this other realm. And you know what? I'm going to go live in this realm. Maybe even <laughs> I remember even being on ayahuasca and being like, you have a choice. And yeah. I'm like, well, I choose to come back. But I knew that when I came back, I was going to forget that and think that this was the reality. Isn't that funny though? I've very much had that experience of like, you have a choice. You have to choose to go back or to stay. Yeah. And always chose to go back. I wonder what happens if you choose other, does the medicine laugh at you as you go back? I don't know. All right. Choose again. (laughs) Even that part of you though, that part that thinks you're never going to come back, that is the ego. Yeah. Like, and really it's so much persistent. Like you can get to a place where you're viewing yourself from a new perspective, but that ego is still there. And it's still there telling you, you're not coming back from this. I mean, you can be real deep in and still have that going on. That, that that's the ego trying to get you to like, not destroy your brain. Right. Yeah. And, and also to say the same, um, I think there's an element to it that, you know, my therapist once told me any change your ego is going to experience it as a death or fear it as a death. So, you know, you think of a nightmare coming up in your dreams it's because something's calling to you and the ego thinks that if we let this thing in, we're going to die, you know, a zombie's going to attack us or something's going to happen and we're going to die, but that's not really what happens. But the ego feels like it's going to die with each shift, but instead it's just absorbing. It's expanding. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I really like if I have a soapbox I ever want to get on, it's it's about ego death and like getting rid of the ego. No, the ego is like I, I mean, I believe it's based on our our brain structure, you know. It's it's what allows us to be conscious. I don't want to I don't want to get rid of that. I want to heal him. I want, I want wow. to heal that ego. I want to I want to resolve, you know, uh advanced ego is what I want who who can play with the team instead of trying to run the show. Um, yeah. If you I, I think we talk ego, too much about losing your ego. Right, if you lose your ego, you're the guy at Seven Eleven that's mumbling to himself and chasing ghosts or whatever. That's someone yeah, who's man. lost their ego. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to your, your experience with ketamine. Ketamine is, ketamine is so good. Like it just gives you such a feeling of like being okay. Right. It's like, okay, I'm fine. Um, I don't know, man. I've had some not that feeling with ketamine. Uh, one thing that has come up repeatedly with ketamine is feeling like I'm being um, being uh, uh, resuscitated at the scene of an accident Whoa. to the point of like smelling like antiseptic and like hospital stuff. And like, that's been really interesting. And I still don't know what that means. Is that it's a past life like, thing, man? Yeah. Is what like- the hell is that? I I wonder. I don't know, man. It's it's come up a lot. Um, oh. It's like three or four times, and I still don't know what that is. Uh, but well, some people talk about being in a K hole too. Where if like, is that what they call it? they call it? Like, maybe we should get an expert on here. But like, where you've taken too much or something, and it almost feels like the sunken place or something. In yeah. like the best way I can, I've heard it described as kind of like the sunken place in uh, what was that movie? Get Out. Yeah, I think I think the K hole is just what happens like that, that kind of 30 minutes, 20 minutes of, of 
just being like your body being shut down where you're all the way in the medicine. And that's your experience is like wherever your, your consciousness is. Mm. Um, my, my favorite description of ketamine is that it, it's the place where the angels are. And I can't describe that. I can't tell you what that means, but it feels more right than any description I've ever heard. Well, I like that. I know. Right. It's cool. Yeah. That's it. That's so interesting. Cause I, I, I guess I've never had that experience. My, my few experiences with ketamine have just been like, Oh, I'm totally okay. There was one part when I was walking, well, we were all three together and we were walking through the solstice thing and I was on ketamine and I couldn't remember, <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was me walking on my legs or if it was me walking on Mike's legs or if it was Mike walking in my, I couldn't, do you remember me talk, asking you about that, Mike? I was like, I can't remember which one is which. That's the only weird thing I've had with ketamine. But everything else has been like, oh, wow, I'm totally okay. Uh, the first anyway, thing I love it. Man, I would say find a guide and do some intramuscular because it's like it's like somebody just drops you in ice water and then poof. And you are like just a consciousness out exploring the you know cosmos, man. Is it pretty immediate when he injects it? It's or? real fast. Wow. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's rad. It's kind of, I don't want to have, I don't want to pick favorites. It's like picking your favorite kid, right? They're all amazing and do amazing yeah. things, but I just have a really special, special uh, relationship with ketamine. Love the I angels. Love yeah. Yeah. They, where the angels are. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and after that experience, um, it's like somebody reached inside my brain and took suicidal ideation out. I've never had it again. Oh, holy shit. I mean, think of how huge that is. Yeah. Here we are talking about these things and these things are still illegal. And oh, ketamine's not. Ketamine oh, ketamine's not all over the place. And if you're dealing with suicidal ideation to our listener, good listener, go find a, a, a psychiatrist and get some ketamine because it's amazing. Definitely. Help. I'm glad you guys clarified that. Forgot about that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike, you weren't here for when we interviewed uh, Reed. Like uh, he runs those ketamine clinics, and oh, that's right. It was me, Peter, and Shalice, and we taught. I also thought ketamine was illegal until he set me straight. So I'm not some Johnny Cooled over here trying to know the law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's amazing how many ketamine clinics have popped up. So that's so you, the suicide ideation was gone. You come home. Yeah. Where, what's your relationship with the church then? And you said you you now you're more in it. Um, well, can you kind of burst apart and saw the cosmos? Did, what, do you still kind of fit that in the Mormon cosmos? Then, so I mean, I think I said this before. I was already kind of trying to make my worldview fit yeah. the church's worldview, and really doing some intense, you know, mental gymnastics to make it all fit together. Um, but I mean, I also like I started reading like Joseph Smith's church history when I was on my mission mm. and learning about Joseph's mysticism. And really kind of drawn to mysticism through Joseph. Um, so like all of a sudden, it's like a bunch of that weird ass stuff he was talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, that 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 stuff makes more sense now. I mean, even a big one for me. And this is I mean, maybe we're jumping at the gun here, but there's no chronology to this shit, man. You know, <laughs> Seth, win- Seth, you listen to every one of our episodes. <laughs> Seth edits our episodes, everybody. So. Seth, I feel like you know better than anybody that there ain't no fucking beginning, middle, and end on these things. You don't have to like build up to a rising climax and then have a climax. I mean, it's not. 
time's a construct, right? That's and right. You know what? Everyone loves multiple climaxes. <laughs> yeah, same, dude. Yeah. Uh, working on one myself right now. Anyway. <laughs> show, hands, Doug, show your hands. <laughs> I just right back down there. Yeah, and then I just put them back down. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead to mushroom stuff here, but like my first mushroom experience was a couple months later and my guy gave me seven grams because I'm a, I'm a bigger guy and he's kind of that old school, like we're going hero dose. We're going all the way in. I couldn't remember who I was. Um, and I barely remember that experience, but it kind of continued to unfold as time went on. And to me, like, you know, everyone's always pointing to the first vision and saying it changed over time. That means it's not true. And I was like, well, I had an experience and it changes over time. So I kind of get that. Like, I don't, I'm not going to hold that against him trying to like figure something out. And it takes years and years to figure it out. Like uh, that just kind of proves the validity of his experience to me. So I had these weird things like that, that came up that actually kind of like made some of it make more sense. That's one point I want to hit real quick, just real quick, is that memories are tricky. History is tricky, right? And that's why it's like, you're like, I always want to know the truth of what history is. Well, depending on who and whose perspective and how they're remembering it. And anytime we pick up a memory, it's like tissue paper. We pick it up and then we shift it in some way. It's fragile. And then the next time we retell it, we've colored it with that perspective of when we picked it up last. And so those memories that we keep picking up are actually ones that probably didn't really happen as we remembered them. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good point. I mean, my, my current, my go-to when people start talking about truth now, or, or is to just question all truth. Like what, what do you think truth, what does truth mean to you? Let's, let's start there before we start talking about what is true. Yeah. And then you also gain, like when you're talking about a memory from now, you're also looking at it from a different perspective because you have the perspective of now. And so at the time you wouldn't have said, like when you were telling the memory, like you wouldn't have said it like that, but now you're looking at it from a different perspective. You're like, Oh, now in the moment, I believe I was thinking this, I don't know. It's a whole deal. We could do a whole episode on it. <laughs> you, you could do many, many. Yeah. I mean, but like, can I play, can I jump on the other side of this conversation for just a second? Like yeah. uh, normally I think I get in and, and maybe defend Joseph Smith a lot of times when, when, when we get talking, but in the case of telling the story about the first vision, it's, I mean, whether you're tripping or making shit up or really having it, like it's a, it's a pretty big, like, Oh, let me just like fill in some of the details versus like misremembering and like, Oh, and by the way, how many people were there? How many were there? Who was there? I mean, it's a far cry from seeing Moroni to seeing God and Jesus and being spoken to by the voice of God. And then, you know, him hype man and Jesus up and then Jesus telling them everything's wrong and they're, they're an abomination and blah, blah, blah. Like I am with you guys on what you're talking about as far as memory changes, perspective changes, the retelling of a story changes it to the last time you told a story. Like I get it. But when you're talking about like the, like there's like three important moments in the history of religious mankind, Adam and Eve leaving the garden, Jesus getting crucified and doing his whole deal, which is probably the most dismissive thing anyone has ever said about Jesus. Jesus just doing his deal, doing what yeah, he Jesus does. Working on you. his thing. Working and then out the restoration of yeah. the, of the gospel. Like I lost a whole weekend for us, man. A whole yeah, weekend. Seriously, dude. 
Like, and all we get out of it is a fucking like three day weekend. Sometimes <laughs> this is like worst three day weekend of my life, dude. <laughs> I'm glad anyway. you said that though, Doug. Cause like, um, I mean, I didn't want to, I just wanted to talk about memories in general, but the and first I, vision I, was, yeah. yeah. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to like say, Oh, I know everything about telling the story about seeing God, but I, I've, I've had some pretty spiritual experiences with, you know, psychedelics and, I haven't ever confused it with like, oh, maybe it was actually God and his son, Jesus, telling me that all churches on the face of the earth are the abomination. I can't remember if it was that or just some angel like coming to visit me. I don't know, man. I've had some pretty wild psychedelic experiences. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, you're talking here, Doug, right? I know. I know. I'm like a little boy talking to two Gandalfs. <laughs> or I'm, I'm not giving you up then with this because, oh, let me just mention this one thing. Let me get back to your story, Seth. When we were tripping together in, and maybe I've told you this, when we were tripping together at the festival, remember when we went to that little workshop and I was like gone at this point. The story time workshop. Yeah. I had this impression. I think I saw your like higher self and you were like this, like experienced. You were just like powerful. You knew what you were doing. You knew you, I felt like I was like this, person in training, like entering this new world. And you were just like, yeah, Mike's finally come along. Let's like, you know, let's, let's initiate him. Um, anyway, I just wanted to share that. <laughs> that that's just my actual self, man. Like I can't, I still am kind of amazed at how well I hold it, held it together during all of that. Uh, like it participated in a workshop and uh, then took the people from the workshop to like go walk the labyrinth. And was just like, not losing my mind, but yeah, that's I, also didn't, I also didn't take as much as you guys did. So huh. that might well, have been part of it. That was misguided on our part, but like, and you also I, had the time to give me a big hug, man. I was losing uh, my mind at one point. Same, I dude, like, I got some, I got some good old Seth hugs on that thing. Man. That, uh, that guys, that, that experience was like pivotal for me. Like that, so, that was, that was a, that was a big deal. Well, there was a moment when I was, I was just crying as I do. And you came and gave me this big hug and you're like, we're here for you, man. We're, we've got you. I don't remember what you said, but just feeling your energy like that and saying that, like it completely transformed the journey for me. So. Oh, dude, that's great. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I think we've, I think we've successfully derailed any sort of like, I think we have uh, <laughs> any sort any, of like any narrative narrative to this thing. Yeah, any storytelling. Uh, yeah, so. Where were we though? We were talking about Joseph Smith and this. Well, we jumped it. We yeah, jumped come, ahead come, to go ahead. No, please. Oh no. Coming back, like coming back from that journey experience and into like regular life into, you know, struggles with the church, these questions that I've had for 30 years uh, you know, being a, you know, almost 40 year old man without a career. Cause I could never hold one down, you know, like back to like a family that, you know, was just barely hanging together. Um, yeah, man, it was crazy to come back to everything. And, you know, in some ways to have more questions about the church, uh, more questions about the truth claims, like even less. And I think that's really, this is really where it is, is that I had all that surety that I had felt before I started to question that. And for a while, questioning it meant that I could be open and I could live it and see like, what happens if I really live this thing, which, you know, I kind of hadn't for a long time. I'd had those questions, you know, 
And I think for me, it was a matter of like, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to live this and I'm going to question my questions. Really, it's that that stupid doubt your doubt thing, which is the worst. But this was kind of different. It was like my surety isn't as sure as I thought it was. You know, let, let, let's let's question any surety. Um, you know, what what is truth? That was kind of the beginning seed of, you know, where I'm at now with all of that. And and you know, things didn't make sense. So I just jumped in and I did it for a while and and it didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. I mean, I went through the whole stage where I was reading uh I don't remember their names anymore, Richard Bushman and uh Terrell Givens and yeah. I remember reading the, the last book I read before I left Mormonism was called the God who weeps. Yeah. Yeah. It's taking the, like the most, I remember being like, Oh, if this was Mormon theology, really the one that we'd go and teach every Sunday and here, I'm like, I could probably get on board with this. I kind of, I kind of love it. I could, at least at the time where I was at, I was like, I love this and this could be it. But then I go to church and I'm like, no, this isn't really what they're teaching. You just took the best aspects and created your own, like, mismatch of like Mormon theology and that with the yeah. nuance, but that nuance is what I was embracing. I was, you're getting the, the point where you no longer were seeking certainty. You were seeing value in the nuance. hundred percent. Dude. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm glad you brought up doubt your doubts. I don't think we've ever talked about that phrase on the podcast. Doubt your doubts is unironically one of the funniest fucking things in the history of the world. Cause it is, Doubt your doubts is blatant gaslighting. It just saying it is 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 completely gaslighting. It's like uh, the church is coming to you saying, "Oh, you're having doubts. You might want to think about who you are to have those kind of doubts. Like who who are you to be doubting this stuff? People much more spiritual and smarter and more thoughtful than you have not doubted this thing. So before you have these doubts, I would doubt your doubts first. It's like fucking." I'm I'm drawing a blank on it's like OJ Simpson saying I didn't kill uh Nicole but if I did here's how I would have done it. It's the same exact kind of thing. <laughs> that wasn't a very good analogy but it's kind of in oh, that I love same, it. It's in that same line of like having the having the leadership of the church come up with this marketing phrase of doubt your doubts is so fucking in their face irony of by saying that you're doing the exact wrong thing. You yeah. know what I mean? You're doing yeah. the exact thing that anybody who's doubting would be like, Oh, I'm suspicious of that. You know? Anyway, sorry to well, and, and to raise it one it's, it, it is gaslighting, but it's also thought stopping. And it's like yeah. the most ridiculous thought stopping because we're going to, we're going to stop your thoughts by making you so confused. You can't recognize anything. So you'll just rely on us. You'll just rely yeah. on what we tell you because nothing makes sense to you anymore. Like, honestly, from here on out, gospel doctrine every Sunday is just riddles. It's uh, it's you come to you come to a spot in the maze where there's two doors. One guard can only tell the truth. One guard can only tell lies. I like that you so much one, better. You have one quite yeah. It's fucking labyrinth, right? It's like I, you have I was watching question. that the other night, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all gospel doctrine is from now on. It's fucking t- tongue twisters and riddles, like. Instead of reading from the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, we're just going to do she sells seashells down by the seashore a number of times. I mean, I love a good uh, koan, right? Like, yeah, give yeah. me riddles. That's that's fantastic. 
I'll Honestly, take it. I would prefer going to church if they gave me riddles, like, like real brain teasers, you know? Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> I mean, that, that was really, that was the thing is going back to church, questioning everything, like trying it all on kind of afresh. Right. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that like, oh, I have problems in my life and I can't talk to any of these people about them. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm struggling with my, with my kid and like how to support him. And I can't even say that because the expected answer is that I just, uh, the, the, the expected answer is that I don't have problems. So I'm just going to say, I don't have problems, even if I do. And we can't, we can't talk about it. And I get no value from it. You know, it, it really is just a whole bunch of old men value signaling yeah, which is the word that they hate, but that's what they do every Sunday: value signaling that they don't have problems, and that if they did have problems, they know the right answer to take care of yeah. the problems. Yeah, and, you're, you're you're talking about the biggest uh, the biggest rift between me and my parents, who I who I love dearly, is that when I went through my my faith transition, the people I should have been able to talk to the most openly about this were the people that I had to hide it from and keep it from because the very, the very thought of talking about this kind of stuff, any kind of questions or doubts or concerns, they, they come from a, a long line of, of a generation that's like, no, we, we don't, we do not doubt. And these yeah. are conversations. These conversations are near blasphemy, you know? They, yeah. Near blasphemy, depending on who you're talking to, depending on how much of a McConkieite they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, come back and try this stuff on. And I, I can't like, I, I can't, I have these actual issues and I want to get help with these issues. And it does me more good to sit in meditation for half an hour, yeah. you know, and you guys are going to tell me that by your fruits, not you, know, you guys, the church is going to tell me that by their fruits, you shall know them, but you're never going to look at your fruits. Like people are miserable around me. They're miserable around can we, me. Can we talk about that for a minute? Doug, we touched about it a little bit on their episode. We did our live episode when I was sitting there in your office with you. And I wish I yeah, wish I was right still here. Right yeah, here. I was right there. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was right there. I wish it's, you were here right now, Seth. Oh. You know, Mormonism, they say, by their fruits, you, sh- you shall know them, right? And they want to point to the wealth there. And you see it. You see the wealth. And I mean, Utah's a very wealthy place, at least on the surface. And the image that people portray, but what's all underneath all of that? When you're driving down the bill, I mean, you drive down Provo, how many billboards do you see for like opioid addiction? There's not an opioid addiction thing here in California on a billboard. I've never seen it before. You'll count a dozen on your way from Provo to to Salt Lake. And then like, just look at the billboards and then look at the people like antidepressants and um, I, I wish I could be a little more articulate right now, but just the, yeah. Let me jump in Please. the nail in the coffin for me, like the final straw. This was last year at this time going down to pick up a Christmas present, um, from the, what's the little mall right there across from the temple. And the city temple Creek. has like city yeah, city, the, don't, church don't mall. city Creek, the church mall. Let's go <laughs> shopping. <paid> for. <laughs> going down there and there's like a 10 foot wall around the temple with razor wire while there's people freezing on the street outside. And that was, that was the fruit. That was the rotten fruit that I just 
could not. I'm like, no, no. This is why Jesus got a little whip and like went nuts is because people were on the street instead of in the shelter that was right there. No, Dude, that I can't reminds do this me. anymore. Reminds me of, you were talking about terror earlier, the five of pentacles, where you have that almost like church building and the people left out in the cold. And yeah, and we talk about like service in the church and it's all this incestual service. They're not opening up soup kitchens for the poor and the homeless and this. It's all very insular. And yeah, you go mow someone's lawn or help them move, which is what they like to do. But like really reaching out, that outreach, there's no outreach. It's all insular. Um, Yeah. And that's the whole point of the church. The, I, the, the church having all that money is fine by me if they're using it for the very thing that you, the two of you are mentioning. The, the, the idea of like, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say every single religious value on planet Earth boils down to uh, we're all part of the same human family. Uh, be kind. Love is the most important thing and go about doing good. Right. They got they got more monopoly board rules and everybody plays different in their house. And, you know, in Muslim, you know, for Muslims, if you land on free parking, you get the money out of the middle for Mormons. If you land on free parking, you don't get the money. out of the middle. I mean, there's all sorts of rules. Yeah. But be kind. We're all part of the same human family and love one another. That will be fifty dollars. <laughs> oh, what are you what the fuck are you talking about? Everyone knows to, to do those things. So the church the church can do whatever it wants and say, okay, we have the truth and we got hold on this and all that kind of stuff. But until they're using that $120 million to stop worldwide poverty, to fight against uh, child abuse, to fight against sexual assault, the things that, you know, like you would expect an ecclesiastical organization to do, then fuck the church. They can they can have a wealth thing and they can have a mall and they can have a wealth management. No, until they use it for good, fuck them. Well, and it goes like like that whole thing of like the value signaling. I can take anything Jesus said that that you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. I can go into gospel doctrine class and I can say that, and I'm going to have a bunch of old people telling me which you know something that a president of a corporation said why that's wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm going to take, take any of those teachings, like good teachings, things that I truly value. Like I love Jesus. Jesus is the dude. Like, I think I've said this to you guys before. It's my favorite magician, Same. you know, like, um, yeah, listen to Jesus. That guy was the shit. He had great teachings, you know, but like some, some president of a corporation is going to tell us why, well, we got to maybe not what Jesus said, but we got to change it a little bit because he told me to change it a little bit, but not you guys. It's like, no, I'm not playing that game anymore. I know Jesus said that it would be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, which is a very old fashioned sentence that doesn't make any sense to someone like me, but it would be easier for that camel to fit through the eye of that needle than a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God. And Mormons take that and be like, oh, let's just talk about how powerful uh, uh, God is. <laughs> but, but no, actually, idiot. It's talking about stop using your wealth to build up your own power and, and, and land and people. It's give your wealth away. 
No, actually, Doug, the the eye of the needle was this arch in uh, Jerusalem. What was, Jesus, you could fit Christ. a you could fit a camel through, but it has to kind of squeeze through. It's not impossible, but it's just a tight fit. Most, <laughs> oh, I learned recently that that's horseshit. That's not a thing. That's I'm a sure thing that I'm somebody sure said, and like yeah. everybody latched onto it because it made them feel a little bit better about all their stuff. Yeah. Guys, I know. I know we're going on tirade about the church and I kind of love it right now. Um, yeah. More than we normally do, but I, I did want to, I, I, that whole by their fruits, you shall know them. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Sorry. Well, well, first, before we go there, I also want to say, I don't know if Jesus is my favorite magician. You guys, I kind of love fucking love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is that okay? If I resonate more with Obi-Wan than Jesus. Mike, That's, we I accept. Mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of favorites is kind of like, we should not play that game. But, or even yeah. Gandalf. You want to talk about sacrifice, man? Gandalf was like, yeah, Gandalf's a fucking great wizard too. And plus he had the fireworks, you know? Oh, <laughs> plus he's kind of like fireworks. this bumbling, like he has those two sides. He's got Gandalf the gray and Gandalf the white. One, you know, he's doing his, he's kind of like a bumbling old fool. And then he owns his power. And then, I don't know, we could go on a whole thing about wizards. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you should keep going. Like, honestly, Mike, every time we start talking about the Lord of the Rings, I cannot get enough. That's so great, right? It so is so great. And but then he, you know, he writes. No, we're not going to go there. We're going to go back to by by their fruits you shall know them, <laughs> which is, I think this is a good point because it's like anyone, anyone who's living in the heart of Utah Valley or Davis County, you, it's easy to see behind the facade of it all and being like, what are the real fruits here, guys? What are we doing here? let's look inward reach out like i know we all have our mcmansions and our malibu boats and whatever but like what's going on underneath and people are hurting they're hurting they're depressed they're sucked they're lifeless is that too much of a generalization or no, man i was gonna say this earlier but like i you know i would go to church and i would hear people weeping about how happy they are that someday in the next life, they'll be happy. Yeah. Man, that's a real bummer. That's a real bummer. Like, I don't know, man, I, I, I went and I went on this magical journey with psychedelics and then I was happy. And then I'd come back and I'd hear these people so grateful that someday they'll get to be happy. I was like, ah, we could do that now. I mean, Jesus said to pick up your cross and, and follow him and that, that your cross would be light. Like, I really feel like, man, like I look at these people and if, if you're not happy, are you really a Christian? Like he said, otherwise, that's the fruits that he's talking about. Wow. Seth, this is like my favorite episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to belabor the point a little bit, but I, I, I think that you're dead on Seth. And, and I, what I would add to that, uh, either that remark, like that, that significantly wide gap between um, sort of like the facade of happiness or people who are like literally just unhappy versus those who uh, there are very happy people within, within and without the church. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you add to, to that, that really weird um, 
condescending tone in like a, 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 a bishopric meeting or a, or a, or a, a priest executive council, that condescending tone of talking about the poor families in the ward. And there's almost that fucking accusatory, like we all get it and they don't. So I guess we have to assign some people to like volunteer and help them out and do secret Santa and bullshit like that. And there's something very condescending about it. And I, I want to like, I want to make like a blanket statement for if you guys don't agree with this, that's totally fine. But I'm saying it for myself. I also am a piece of shit. I, I, I recognize that I could be more charitable. I could be more giving. I could be kinder. I could be a little more tender. I could be, I could volunteer more. I could help out with kids. I could do these things, but I'm not up my own ass that I'm already, I'm on, I am not up my own ass about like, I already do those things and I do plenty of them. So therefore I'm good. And that's, I, that's what I think the difference is here that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. You go crazy. You go crazy trying to like solve hunger or, or solve depression. You go crazy trying to do that. I'm not saying that the three of us have, have it made and figured out. I'm saying like, at least we're aware of our own hypocrisy and not trying to like sell someone something, you know, is that? Yeah. I mean, that's the difference rather than saying, Hey, look at all those people and how they're doing it wrong. Say, come join us and we'll look at how we're doing it wrong and we'll try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Man. That was a real dud of a statement I just made, though, because then it's like hard to come back from that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, oh, I Doug mean, just said that he's full of shit. So how does he even keep talking? Dude, dirtbag through and through. I mean, I'm, I'm OK with it. All right. That, that, that's enough. me. Uh, yeah, it's dude. I, I so I I resigned my callings earlier this year after talking to 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 my partner. About what were your callings? I was in the young men and I was oh. teaching uh, Sunday school to the teenagers. I was doing double duty. So that was this year. That was this year. That was like March. Wow. And they tried to get me back. Right. Uh, yeah. the, the elders corn president came over. He wanted me to be on the activities committee. And I was like, I know what that means. Oh, yeah. it means I'm less yeah. active. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I told him, I, man, I've never seen a more confused face. I told him, I would be happy to help, but I won't accept a calling. And he was dumbfounded. He did not understand that. So I went to a planning meeting for an elders quorum activity. We're planning a Dutch oven dinner, right? Of course. Of course, that's (laughs) what we're doing. Dutch oven is the official fucking like food of the Mormon church. I know know everybody out there thinks it's green jello. It's not. It is Dutch oven, maybe peach cobbler, actually. Oh, I love you know, a good peach cobbler, though. Yeah. I do too, but it's part of probably growing up. That's why I love it so much. Anyway, sorry, Seth. I didn't yeah, mean it's in our DNA. We planned this Dutch oven dinner, and then this guy that I love, I love him. He's like, "Well, how are we going to get the less actives to come out?" And I just, I almost said, "Like, I'm here. You guys did it. You made it. You did it. <laughs> I'm here." But like they're talking about like we can make them the judge for the Dutch oven dinner so that they'll like feel like they'll they'll, they'll actually come out. I'm like, you're going to trick them into coming back to church. You're going to that's that's the conversations we're going to have here. And that was when I was like, OK, I can't I can't even help anymore. I can't do this. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to trick anybody into going to church. Oh. Like, 
the fact that you even think that would work i mean come on guys you're better than this like seth i had the same experience have i talked about this on the podcast whatever fuck it no it's i mean you have not but please do well i remember so when my last calling i was in the like the elders corn presidency and we were intense we would do elders corn presidency meeting every week we would go on visits every week and i'm there and we're visiting people being like trying to get them to come to church. And it was that whole analogy that you hear so much about the, uh, the sun and the wind trying to see who can get the man's jacket off. Yeah. And the wind blows and blows and blows. And the man just like grips that thing tighter. And then the sun just comes out and the man takes the jacket off. And I was, I couldn't get that out of my head being like, here we are. I'm taking up my nights of my week away from my family to go visit these people and say, come to church, come to church, come to church. If it was just a place, if it was the fucking sun and people wanted to go and like bask in it, they would just come. We don't have to visit anyone. You don't have to go and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to be and go and like proselyte and go on people's doorsteps. You radiate that out. If the church really was, as it claims to be this, this light on the hill and this beacon, just shine the fucking light and people are going to come. You don't have to go and work for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was four years of like, psychedelics regularly journeying and i really started to you know where it took me was to reclaim my own inner authority mm-hmm. because that's that's what i lost that's what i lost to this church was was sacrificing my inner authority which there's a lot of a, like i've got i've got shit to offer amen and I, I sacrificed all of that to somebody else because the way I was doing it was different. The way I was doing it was, was different than a bishop wanted me to do it. The way I was receiving revelation was different, you know? Um, yeah. I'm going to, if it's a go, okay, jump into a story from when I was a teenager, please. but like, please, I, I, I got my recommend to get my patriarchal blessing when I was like 13 why oh, why so early uh i don't know everyone else was i don't know really yeah yeah 13 or 14 got my recommend i was gonna go get my patriarchal blessing with my buddies and i felt like i shouldn't do it mm. and i i followed the pattern for revelation that you're supposed to follow i prayed about it i made up the decision that i was going to listen to that feeling and not get it and I prayed about that and I felt good that I wasn't going to get it. So I went back and I told my bishop what I did. And my bishop told me that I had been deceived by Satan oh. and that I should not listen to that. And I should go get my patriarchal blessing. Oh, your, bishop, your bishop was even pushing it. The, yeah. Anyway, but I didn't, I didn't go get it. I, I, I listened to what I had to, you know, what, what I felt because I followed the pattern and it worked. I mean, and then I, couple more years later, next bishop, he's like, God, you have your patriarchal blessing. No, let's get your recommend. Got the recommend. Still felt bad about it. Did the same thing. Prayed about it. Prayed, should I get it? Felt confused. Prayed, should I not get it? Felt great. Went back and told him, deceived by Satan again. Deceived by Satan. Two out of two here. Um, We go through that with uh, four bishops and two stake presidents. And finally, by the last stake president, before I go on my mission, I just lied. I just told him no. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'll go get it. I'll, I'll go get it. Just just lied. Because that's apparently what we teach, right? We teach that you either you feel it or you lie about it. 
And uh, I went on my mission without a patriarchal blessing. Um, and like my second mission area, we lived with this little old lady and went upstairs. And the lady who cleaned her house was the or the stake patriarch's uh, sister. This little old lady, she's like 84 years old, and she had just gotten active a couple of years before, and she didn't have her patriarchal blessing. Mm-hmm. And this patriarch sister is hounding her about why she needs to get her patriarchal blessing. And she said the funniest thing, it'll just say, I'm going to die. Don't bother me. But I said, I don't have mine. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll support you. And we can do this together. And we went and we got our patriarchal blessings. And it was amazing. It was, it was perfect. Like, and the story gets better. I can see Doug, you're ready to jump in, but I, I just, I'm, I have so many questions. Yeah, please go ahead. I, I come home from my mission. I marry my high school sweetheart. And, you know, a couple of years later, we're looking at her patriarchal blessing. And then it comes out that like all of our friends growing up, all of them, everybody we grew up with, they all got the same patriarchal blessing, almost word for word. That patriarch, he got released because he was Which just is given, not something normal. It's, it's normally no, lifetime that is yeah. out of the ordinary. Um, he was just giving everybody the same patriarchal blessing. So not only did I get to help somebody, you know, and have a great experience. I also have a patriarchal blessing that isn't the same as like all of my siblings and friends and like loved ones that I grew up with. And you went, you, you got it through, listen, I think patriarchal blessings are, uh, Amateur tarot. I mean, bullshit. <laughs> channeling. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you have a good experience with it and got to help this old lady that you lived with and got a different experience because at great risk to your uh, spiritual well being or, or your spiritual standing within the church, you followed that uh, autonomy, your personal, what, what did you call it? Your, your, your personal inner authority. authority, inner authority. Yeah. You followed that. Uh, against counsel and, and had an overwhelmingly good, positive, uplifting. I mean, just hearing that story, I'm, I feel like you helped this old lady. It's fucking cool. And you had that experience. Got, got to see a channel that was a little bit better than the other channel that I was supposed to see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Your scrambled, your scrambled porn was a little clearer than mine. <laughs> just, a, just a touch. Just make out a little what? hint of a nipple there. What the fuck are patriarchal blessings? We, we've never really talked about them in here. Yeah. It's telling you what tribe you come you descended from. And then also that if you I mean, work hard and be righteous, you can have a good education, a good job and a good family. You've well, had no a past shit. life regression, haven't you? I mean, how are they any different? <laughs> Well, but because I don't, when I do a past life regression or yeah, when I do a past life reading, I'm not sitting there going, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. This is like my real shit. I'm just doing that because it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Great question, though. And I know Shalice wants to do an episode on like Kakashic versus patriarchal blessings. And oh, I want in on that. Yeah. Oh, can we do we do a foursome on that one? I just did, oh, yeah, dude. guys. I just did an Akashic record certificate, and I'm learning how to open it myself. What? Damn! You are a fucking wizard. I know it. <laughs> I think Seth is my favorite wizard. It's not Jesus. It's not Gandalf. It's not Obi Wan. Seth is my favorite wizard. <laughs> Real life, actual wizard. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was that was the whole thing. Like all of it was like, how many times can you hear? That you're deceived by Satan before you start to believe it. 
And then you throw in, you know, getting exposed to porn early. And then, oh, obviously I am broken. Like these guys must be right about me. I can't receive revelation. You know, the the, the church is, it, it's so insidious, but the teaching really is disconnecting us from our own inner authority. It is about supporting an organization more than it is supporting individuals. Mm. And it took a shit ton of mushrooms but I, I started to reclaim my inner authority. And then I started to look at those fruits and I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and this is the part where I want to thank you guys, because, you know, a year ago when I was sending you that first email, you know, um, I somehow was able to have one community just fall away from me right as another one sprung up. Like, I I didn't even miss a beat. Like, I just had a place to go, you know, the Facebook group and now the Mighty Network and Solstice and all of this stuff, man. Like, I I look around at people who are so distraught because they, 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 their entire community's gone, their entire life. I mean, really, we've been, we've been programmed to be a part of this community since we were pre-verbal. Yeah. You know, it it is, you lose your identity. and, And I'm so lucky that. Yeah, I was able to just 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 let it fall away and I had this other community right there. And that's powerful. We've been programmed for this since before since before we were pre I guess since we were pre-verbal. Like we knew we knew the sacrament prayer before we could speak, right? Damn. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And we learned the value of community. I mean, you know, for what it is, the Mormon community is, um, well, I mean, this it's came people up that actually care a lot. What's that? It's people that care a lot. I, yeah, yeah, I want to jump in and I want to say this because I know all four of those bishops and the two stake presidents that told me to go get my patriarchal blessing that told me I was deceived by Satan. I know for a fact that every single one of them loves me. I'm close to some of these guys to this day. They love me. They were trying to do something to help me. It's just that they thought what would help me was serving an organization instead of listening to myself. Not one of them ever went and said, oh, Seth got a different answer than I did. Maybe I should pray and see if there's something to what happened to him. Maybe I should pray and find out if he should get his patriarchal blessing. They just assumed that the pattern Mm that the church had established was the best pattern for me. Yeah. God bless them. They, they loved me. They were trying to do their best. I've forgiven all of them. They were trying to do their best, but, but man, they really fucked me up for 30 years. I thought about killing myself every single day because I was broken because I couldn't do it right. I couldn't receive revelation because I was too much of a sinner. Yeah, because it's it be, yeah exactly because because it's that mixed message. We started this thing talking about how it can it can be multiple things. Multiple things can be true at once, right? There is good intention. Um, I've been I've been a Mormon with good intentions, but but been a little misguided in my actions. Been yeah, because there's that weird there's that weird competition that that comes in as well of like trying to be the most righteous or being like a 
like the chosen or, or, you know, being special. I remember, God, I was laughing about this the other day in the first couple of weeks of my mission, you know, I'm in Taiwan and Taiwan is just a tiny little Island off the coast of China. And it's this all big city or mountain farm. That's all Taiwan is. So I'm in this big city and I'm kind of feeling the blues and I'm not, I'm just like, man, I, I thought I was going to come here and literally like people would flock to the church. Cause I just was going to be this most powerful missionary ever. I had good intentions. Certainly I had good intentions, but I also had that thing of wanting to be the best at being Mormon, which I think is probably that uh, maybe that like contradiction that we're talking about a little bit here. Cause yeah, all those bishops had good intentions, but they wanted to be the best at being Mormon. Dude, I fucking went out onto my, so we live in this big city. We're on the fourth floor of this apartment building and we we're in for the night. Dude, I'm, I'm embarrassed just telling the story. So I apologize, guys. Here it goes. Oh, please. These so I'm like, I'm going stories. to really, what's that? Those are the best stories, Doug. The ones you're embarrassed to tell are the best stories. <laughs> oh, this one's bad. So I, so for, I, hold on just real quick for everyone, for all the listeners right here. These are always the stories that I convince Doug to leave in later that he wants to pull. <laughs> yeah, no. We'll cut this. Doug, it's okay. We'll cut this out. We'll, we'll cut, cut this, this out. one out. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, you, you, you go in at nine 30, you kind of like call in your, your numbers for the day. And then you kind of like shoot the breeze with your companion or your, or your, your roommates. Everybody goes to bed at 10 30 and everybody tries to out pray each other. You know, everybody's doing the, uh, everybody's in their garments with their butts in the air. Like they're like, it's like, we're all getting ready to do doggy style, you know, and we just got our <laughs> garments on in the air. So everybody goes to bed and then I'm like, okay, now it's, now it's really time for me to shine my spirituality. I'm going to show that I'm the real fucking best Mormon ever. So I go out on our, I go out on our balcony and you know, it's like a city street down below people eating food and walking and talking and bicycling and driving and street noise. And I start singing the spirit of God as loud as I can. And singing it in kind of like, you know, that like, I'm really serious, almost operatic kind of voice where it's like really deep and really like singing it loud over the streets. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. I sang, I think there's three verses. I sang all three verses. You did. (laughs) Loud, loud. And like, no, you didn't. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, And in my mind, I'm just like, from my mouth out onto the streets is like the spirit of God is like filling these Taiwanese people that are like eating a fucking street dog or whatever, you know, not, not dog, like just street, food, you know? <laughs> and yeah. now I think about, now I'm 41 years old. I think about that. Like if I'm living, if, if, if let's say I'm in uh, you know, Salt Lake and I'm out with friends and suddenly I look up and there's a 19 year old Chinese man singing like in his, in his underwear, standing on a balcony. Do we call the cops? What do we do? I would, I would think that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I wouldn't feel the spirit of whatever this Chinese guy is singing about. I would be like, this might be, first of all, I've never been more embarrassed for someone than I am for this guy right now. Second of all, is that a Chinese teenager up on that balcony singing in Chinese? I would turn to my friends and be like, kill a load of this guy. <laughs> so I, that's a, that's a long ways around to the whole thing of good intentions for sure. I, I really, really, really wanted people to feel the spirit and be like, Oh, what was that feeling I had? Like, why did I feel so good inside? But below that I was trying to be 
like this unique and powerful and most righteous missionary that ever walked the earth type of thing. So I, maybe it's like me projecting my own bullshit onto people. But when we talk about this kind of thing where it's like, oh, good intentions they are all good people. I forgive them all. I love them. But I do think there's something deep down within this infrastructure of the church that's like, everyone's good, but let's see who's best at being good. This this is where we get into the wizard shit, right? Because yeah. when you when you acknowledge that those people couldn't have done it any other way, you can you can forgive them. Oh yeah, you can forgive them. I can forgive these people now. But also, like, what can I do to make them look at it a different way? What wizardry could we work to shake things up enough that they just one day look at the world a little bit different, right? Like, I don't know, man. I think there's so much power in, in just acknowledging it. None of those people could have done it any different. That's true. They, they were doing their best. I don't know if I've ever said this to you guys before, but I say it a lot. I don't know anyone who isn't doing their best all the time. I've never met a person that wasn't doing the, the best they could. I actually believe that. Hmm. I got to think about that. I think you're right. That stirs something in me. Damn. And when you acknowledge that, then you can, man, that's, that's real power. Then you can start, you can start dropping some ideas in there for him. You can start, you can start, I don't know, playing with it a little bit. Seth, that's bringing up some emotion in me. Cause like, I've been really hard on myself. Doug, you know, I've been hard on myself this week. Yeah. You know, but I'm just doing the best I know how to do. Um, damn. Sometimes I wish it was better, right? Um, that's how good you want to be doing. Yeah, but it's a it's a moving scale, Mike. Because no matter how good you're doing, I think that you're going to say, "I I sometimes I wish it was better." But that's the human condition. You, you and I talked a, a number of times this week. It's like, it's like, well, at what point? Would you say I'm doing my best and that's good enough? That's, that's what it is. That's what it takes. Would you say that? Or is there something inside of you? That's like, I got to slide that scale a little bit farther because as you move forward, it becomes this thing of like the, 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 the ring that you can never reach out and grab. You know, we, we just did this exercise with our kids of naming their two the two values that most guide who they are and what they want to do in life. And I think there's something really powerful about naming that. It's such a good exercise. If you guys haven't done it, I'll send you the the stuff on it. You should do it. It's amazing. Um, But like, there's another, like the flip side of that, Mike, have you ever defined what doing good means? Have you ever said, this is what, Mike doing good looks like. I've never sat down and thought about that. Man, I highly recommend that you do. It changes the whole conversation you're having with yourself because, you know, it gives you a chance to be a little bit objective and to say, this is what doing good looks like. And then when you like, when that voice inside your head, right, that we all have is like coming at you, you can be like, oh, but wait a second. I did this and I did this and I did this. And that's exactly in line with what Mike doing good looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. 
oh, I'm having like a revelation right now. You gonna share it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I can, dude. So, based well, on the week that you've had, Mike, you've had some. You've had some pretty interesting experiences that you don't have a lot of. That you don't have a lot of like uh, experience with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, and yet you navigated those. You, you navigated some of those traumatic experiences. First of all, the best that you could, and from an outsider looking in, very deftly, quite well. Like you, you, you did it. And it's something that you have no experience with. And, but because, because it's you experiencing it through the only lens, you know, which is yours, you know, you you get that narrow view of like, you're just looking at it through that person, first person. You're like, well, my best in this circumstance, I don't feel, I don't feel right about, or I don't feel uh, the warm and fuzzies about, or I feel like I didn't do it, but it's like, when oh, we're in our growth Psycho. edge, right? When we're when we're on our growth edge, it doesn't feel good. Even if you did everything right, it doesn't feel good when you're growing. So if you're just going by how you're feeling, man, it, it's always going to feel bad. When you're growing the most, it's going to feel the worst. God, exactly. holy shit. When you're growing the most, it's going to feel the worst. Exactly. Damn. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Mike, this, no, I, Seth, that was the best fucking tag team I ever been a part of in my whole life, dude. But Mike, it's like, if, if this week someone had asked you to uh, recite how you calculate certain um, line items on like a balance sheet, the best that you can do is perfection. Cause you're like, this is how you calculate it. Here's the data that's available. Here's the uh, calculation. And so here's the exact to the cent number that it is, because that's you doing the best that you can do at a thing that you know very well. Dude, you you doing the best that you can do on something that you have no experience with is not going to be like the fucking Bolshoi ballet. <laughs> you know no, it's, it's going to be a bit of a shit show, you guys. <laughs> it could I mean, be. Sur- and, and surviving and life is living, right? Yeah, like, lean into that shit show. Survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shit, you guys. I didn't mean to make this a mic therapy session here, but. I, oh, man, I love my Yeah, Why wouldn't it be a therapy session for you and me? We got Seth here. God, Seth, we need to do more of these wizard episodes. This seems to be an ongoing thing. Don't you think I this mean, could be a reg right here? I think we, this. We talked be. about one psychedelic experience and it's been I an know, hour and a half. Right? <laughs> Holy shit. It has been an hour and a half. So we need to probably wrap this up soon, but we'll do, let's just make this a regular wizard episode thing. Or like the three wizards. Yeah. Two wizards and a Doug. Whoa, Doug! Fucking, no. I, I, I take offense to that, Doug. I well, Seth. I think you know this about me. I take pride in my Han Solo ness, which is happy to give birth to people who are powerful in the force. Happy to be best friends with people that are powerful in the force. Happy to marry and get laid by someone who is powerful in the force. But, dude, you know, I also just got a big old. Wookie running around with me and I want to try to like fly by the seat of my pants. So I I'm not trying to discount myself. I'm just saying you two are very powerful in the force and I'm happy to go into hyper jet drive and get you guys there. You just love the good old fashioned blaster. I do like a blaster. Yeah. Give me a blaster, man. Luck is the most powerful magic and you're not going to change my mind on it. So say that again, Seth. Luck is the most powerful magic and you're not going to change my mind about it. So 
I agree with that. Han Solo, pure magic. Oh man, I think the three of us could just like do some kind of like where we lay on our sides in like a triangle on the floor and just suck each other's dicks all night. Because I honestly think we have really, really good kind of mojo going here, don't we? Can you imagine the energy transfer there? There'd be some good energy. Oh my gosh, I can imagine it. A lot of energy. There's one thing I want to get. There's one thing I want to get back to, and I hope it doesn't get, you know, I know we need to wrap up soon, but like when we're talking about community, I heard something this week, actually, or last week, which really struck me is that community is the container for you to be your weird ass self, your individual self. Whoa. That's a true community. A true community is we are here to love you no matter who you are, no matter, we talk about the beginning of the episode that like, damn, what was the line again about you are, uh, more than you think you are. I don't more know. Than I can't remember. So <laughs> we'll find it and edit it in. Yeah. That's the name of the episode, by the way. That is for sure. You're more than you think you are. So think of that as we're all trying to discover who we really are. Having a container where people will be like, no matter the shit show you go through, no matter, no matter the mistakes you make as you play in the mud to discover who you really are, we're going to be there for you and love you regardless of that. We'll hold that container for you to play in the mud. And sorry, guys, I get a little emotional, but like, yeah, to like find out who you are, you know? And having that container, Seth, you were talking about like leaving one community for another. What a fucking beautiful community is coming together right now, you know, whether it's through Facebook or the Mighty Networks or just in person, which we hope to do soon. But like where we can all just be like, yeah, you're okay. No matter Hmm. what you're trying to do, no matter what you're finding yourself and we're going to love you throughout all of it. And we'll hold that container for you to find yourself. And that's uh, that's a true community. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad I'm fa- we're finding our people right now. You know? I, back to the wizard shit, guys. I, I have felt called to magic my entire life. And it was always so embarrassing. It was always so embarrassing like magic that's not even real that's not a real thing and and to be in a space where i can be as fucking weird as i want to be and people are like supportive of it man i love where i'm at right now and just get as fucking weird with it as possible i it's amazing well but i gotta i gotta tell a story about you seth that i don't think i've told you before um before you do doug can i say to quote doug Magic is real and the universe is listening. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go for it, Doug. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to give Seth like, a, a, you know, I, I think that probably we wait for people's eulogies and funerals to tell them all of the, to, to tell people all of the cool stories about them and the, the impact that they've made on our lives. Um, but Seth, you know, you and I uh, trip together. And, uh, I, for me, I have this sort of self image of being just kind of a little strung out and 
like not, not didn't have my wits about me type of thing. And I was kind of lost. I don't know if you know the story. So I was kind of lost and I saw you. I remember exactly what you were wearing. You were, in that, you were wearing that gray long sleeve because of the sun and the heat. And you had the, you, you had your sun hat on. I was like, Oh, that's Seth. Cause I was literally lost and was suspicious of the world around me and couldn't find anybody. And then I saw you and it was like, you might as well have been 20 feet tall. And so I, I uh, walked up to you and I was like, Seth, I mean, all I really needed to do was say, Seth, how are you? How's it going? And we started talking and dude, you looked at me with the biggest smile and like love in your eyes and love in your mouth and in your cheeks and in your teeth. You smiled and you brought me in and you wrapped me up in a big old hug. I don't know if you remember that. You wrapped me up in the biggest old hug. That's literally the first time we met. It was the first time we met. Yeah, I didn't know that was going on. I had no clue. Dude, and you wrapped me up and I was like, holy shit, I am like back. Like I'm back. I'm safe. I'm, I, I know where I'm at. I know (laughs) what's happening here. So Seth, I got to tell you, man, I know we didn't get into all the things that we wanted to get into today. Cause I, I think that you got good stories, good insights. You're a word, you're a word magician too, by the way. Cause like you've said like eight things that are like going to be quotable t-shirts in my life. But dude, I don't care about any of this stuff other than like, dude, you saved me that day. And I was like, oh, that's someone, that's someone I can go to be, to be safe with. And you did not disappoint homeboy. Like you, you, you welcomed me into your bosom and said, I got you. And you, I don't know if I ever, I don't think I ever told you that, but you fucking nailed it that day. Like I, I needed that big time. I mean, thank you. There's so much more to that story too. Because it was right after that, you said, like, I'm trying to talk to you about real world problems and you're like off in the cosmos and I had no clue. And you just looked at me and said, hey, do you want to go do drugs? (laughs) (laughs) And and I didn't bring any of my stuff. I was going to go home that night and come back on Saturday. I was like, I didn't bring anything. And you were just like, we got you. Yeah, it was it was such it was such a remarkable feat of surrender for me to be like, sure. I didn't bring water. I didn't bring clothes. I didn't bring a tent. I didn't bring anything. Sure. These guys got me. I trust them. Let's do this. And you guys carried me through the whole night. Like, yeah, that, that, that goes both ways is what I'm trying to say. That goes both ways. Big time. Man. And that's fucking magic. You guys, that's magic. (laughs) That That is magic. That that experience was like, it was like the kick in the pants I needed to be like, oh, this is what surrender really means. This is what this is what trusting the universe means. Oh shit, this is great. Let's do it all the time. Yeah, that that was that was real magic. Isn't that cool? And it just provides like it's like here it is. Here's here's what you need, and and maybe what you thought you needed is this kind of different thing that's uncomfortable and weird and kind of what Mike's going through right now, maybe what you needed was something to kind of challenge you and push you a little bit and make you feel feelings like, and make you kind of come face to face with some stuff. Yeah. And thank you universe, man. I love coming face to face with my bullshit. Real magic, real magic. That, that whole weekend. Damn. Oh, okay guys. We're at the, we're there. I think we got to cut it. I think we got to do it. Okay, man. Love you. Yeah, I love you guys. It's been fun. All right.
Later, guys. Good night, dude. See ya. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. I love you, man. Yeah, same. You're my hero. Same. I meant that when I was saying you were the, uh, you're my anonymous. Dude, do you, uh, oh man. Do you want to talk about, do you want to talk about a dream real quick? Yeah, please. Is that all right? Yeah. Can I go pee real quick? Seth, we can cut this. Yeah, go pee. Go pee and let's talk about a dream. We can hit, we can hit stop recording too. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Oh, I don't have it. It's on your end. I think I have to do it. Hey, listeners, while we have this uh, few minutes alone, Mike's gone to the other room to go pee. I just want to tell you that uh, I know that it's probably obvious if you're a listener of this podcast that Mike and I really get along really well and have kind of like a kind of soulmate connection with each other. But you, you just need to know from my point of view, Mike is just my favorite person on the earth. He The way he views the world the way his kindness shines through the way he's uh, just so brilliant and soft hearted and strong when he needs to be. He is my favorite person and I fucking love him. And I just wanted to say that without him hearing it or knowing about it. So thanks for coming to my 35 second Ted talk alone here. I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I'm alone just looking at myself on a zoom while Mike's taking a whiz. So anyway, here he comes. I think he's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> What were you just doing there? You're just talking into the microphone like an idiot. <laughs> I, I got to go back and listen to that. <laughs>